Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. We are so glad you've joined us, and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. All right, all right, all right, church. How you guys doing? You guys doing good? Yes, 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 yes. I'm loving, I'm loving the energy. Uh, I got to tell you, I, I was so tempted many times to just run up on stage and, and start preaching in the middle of worship because I, I feel a sense of there's some hungry hearts in here. Maybe some hungry stomachs, depending on where you are in the fast, but there are certainly, there certainly are some hungry hearts in here. So I, I really couldn't wait. I was just pacing back and forth. I just couldn't wait to get up here and, and share um, the word that I believe God has me to, to deliver to you today. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where we're going to be spending all of our time at. While, while you're turning there, I want to give you some, some context and some um, up, updates on some things that you can expect to see here at the church. You kind of heard a, a bunch of different things, so please get plugged into um, social media. So you can kind of see where we are as a church. We would love for us as a community to stay connected. But, but one of the things I want to highlight is that we are kicking off our Awakening series. And what we've entitled it is it's Awakening Taking Ground. And we truly believe that God has called us as a church to take ground that God wants to see us advance, and the Bible talks about the kingdom of God advancing. So that really is our vision and our dream and what we're believing God for for us as individuals, but also for, for every one of you as a church. We're believing that the yes is going to be a year of vision. The yes is going to be a year of, of clarity, and God's going to show you some things. But, but I also believe that God is not only showing you some things, but he's going to allow us to walk in the things that he's showing us, and we're going to take ground. Every time you come to church, you're taking ground one service at a time. Every time you pray, you're taking ground in your spirituality one prayer at a time. Every time you read your Bible, you're, you're taking ground one scripture at a time. Our goal is to, to do this as a family and watch us all take ground and watch the kingdom of God advance. So that's the, that's the season that we're in. And there's a couple of things that you can, that you can plug into while we're all taking ground, while we're, we're capturing this momentum that we believe that this beginning of the year slash decade has for us. And, and all of us as a community, we're, we're fasting and praying together. Now, I realize that fasting and praying, it can seem very overwhelming. It can seem in intimidating even. And, and some of us may not have started. We kicked it off on Friday. We want to let you know that you can start at any time. Like, you can jump in right now. You can, step, you can start with us tomorrow. All fasting is is simply saying this, saying no to something in your flesh and saying yes to something in your spirit. It's saying, I'm going to disconnect from some things and remove the clutter so that I can hear more clearly from God in this season. So there's a food fast, which many of us are going to be engaged in. That's a Daniel fast. That's fruits and vegetables. Others are doing liquid fast. Others are doing a modified version of that. But, but really lean into this season. I've, I've never, I've never regretted moments when I've said no to something that I wanted to do so I can engage the presence of God even more. I believe that there's, there's benefits and blessing on the other side of that. So that's what we're believing God for for this season. We'll be doing that for the next um, 21 days. So that's the season that we want to invite you guys into. So we have our Bible reading plan. We have our, our, our How to Study the Bible seminar that's coming up. So just get plugged in. I really believe that this will be your best year ever if it is your best year spiritually. The Bible tells us in Matthew 6, it simply says this, that, that when we put God first, everything falls into place. And that's what we believe that this season is for us. Just real quick, I want you to write this passage down, just kind of having the notes um, for, for a later moment. But Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'll just summarize it real quick. But it's the idea of what do we expect to see in this season of fasting. And when you read that passage, no matter which translation you read it in, it's a, it's a fast that speaks about the power that God provides to his people when they seek him. And ultimately, it talks about freedom. It talks about chains being broken off of us. So we're believing I'm believing for this church that in this season of fasting and praying that we're going, to get, we're going to get some clarity, we're going to get some strength, we're going to get some strategy, but we're also going to get freedom. And that is what I'm praying for all of us as we go into this season. Amen? Amen. All right. If you have, um, if you have Samuel uh, 16, say, I got it. If you need some more time, say, wait up. 
I gave you like 10 minutes, bro. Like, I don't know what else I need to do. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It'll, it'll come up on the screen. Okay, here's what I want to do. I want to I wanna give you some context. So, so actually, if you're writing this down, I want you to write down 1 Samuel 15, verse 35. I'm not going to read it, but I'll summarize it for you because that's going to give us context as we jump into, as we jump into chapter 16. Ultimately, what's happening there at, at, at verse 35 in, in the previous chapter is that God has moved on. He's moved on from, from Saul. Saul was Israel's original king, their first king. But he's made a lot of mistakes, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and God has, he's moving on. So what it says is that he regretted that he even made Saul the king, and so Samuel now has the responsibility of going to find and identify the new king. The, the scripture actually ends and says this. It says that Samuel grieved over Saul. Remember, Saul is the previous king that Samuel was heartbroken about the fact that that king was not successful. And so when we jump in here at verse number one, starting at chapter 16, it says this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? For if Saul hears me, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I'm among I will declare to you. And Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to meet him and they were trembling and they said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse number six. And when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or his height or his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab. And he made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's, he's keeping the sheep. There, there remains the youngest, but, but he's so insignificant, we didn't even bother to invite him to this party. There's, there's yet the youngest, but he is so annoying. He, he, he talks a whole lot. He, he's so ambitious. Like, he really gets on our nerves. We didn't really want to invite him in. He's not really fit for this. There's yet the youngest, but he's not here. Some of you are wondering, which translation of the Bible am I reading from? I'm just summarizing it for you guys. Stick with me. He said, man, like, he, he's, not, he's not fit to, to come in here. And Samuel said to this, he said, he said, send and get him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. That's powerful. And he said, and they sent, and they brought him in, and now he was, a, he was a ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. I'm not sure why we're getting that description about David, but I guess it's relevant somewhere. It says that he was handsome, considering God said, I don't look at the outward appearance, but never mind, let me move on. Okay, it says he was handsome, and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. The Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed on David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up, and he went to Ramah. In other words, Samuel went back home. He, he was paralyzed in a moment of grief, but the moment that God had given him next step, he was able to go back home. Today, I, I think that there's some things in this passage that can serve as an encouragement for us. Because when I look at the life of, of David, we, we often hear about his exploits. If you've been around church, and even if you haven't, there's certain things that just transcend culture. 
there's, there's this idea of David versus Goliath. We even see that with people who don't believe in understanding the, the idea of when you're facing against an obstacle that's bigger than you. So we, we are familiar with the life and the story of David in some, in some degree. David is going on to do some incredible things, and there's some challenges that he's faced. But nonetheless, we see that even Jesus decided that he wanted to be, that he wanted to be birthed through the lineage of David. So it's a really big deal. So it's easy for us to look at the success of David and think that he had it easy. But I believe that this passage of Scripture shows us really clearly, and even other Scriptures have followed, that he wasn't very well treated in his family. He was often ignored. He was often forgotten. He was often put on the lower shelf. I believe that God has a word to encourage some of us because if we're not there now, there are seasons where we do feel like we're on the bottom shelf. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this message title down. Start it from the bottom. Now we're here. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, so much for your people, God, and we thank you for an opportunity for us to gather and to declare your name. Father, I pray over the next few moments that I decrease and that you increase. So, Lord, give us open eyes that, that we can see you. Give us open ears that we can hear your truth, God, and I pray for open hearts that we can receive what you want to speak to us, regardless of the challenge, God, regardless of the adjustments we may need to make. God, allow us to embrace your truth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. I'm not, I'm not sure about you, but I, I love this time of year. One, you know, we're in a fast. It's a new year. It's a new season. There's a lot of expectation. But, but I love this time of year because as, as a sports fan, I, I love watching kind of like the trajectory of, of different teams. The basketball season is well underway, so you kind of get to see this momentum in, in teams that have like these playoff aspirations. But even, even in football, like we're in, we're in playoff season now. And the thing that I love about playoff season when it comes to football is that you typically learn a little bit more about the people that are playing on the teams because, you know, it's a, it's a brutal sport. They have on helmets, so a lot of times you don't get to know the personalities unless they're like a megastar. But around this time of year, whenever they're in the playoffs because it's been reduced down to just such a few a group of people, you get a chance to hear some backstories. You get a chance to, to hear a little bit of background. And if you want to see somebody get all up in their feels, watch me watching like an episode of like 3030 or anything else on ESPN where you get a little bit of background on somebody and all the stuff that they've overcome. Like to me, that, that stuff always blows my mind because I know some of the challenges that I've had. My, my biological father walked out of my life when I was four years old and I remember some of those challenges that I had with, with feeling rejected and overlooked. I, I know some of the challenges that go with that. So when I get a chance to see some of the obstacles that some of the people face and yet they still are over, able to overcome it, it inspires me. So around this time of year, you always have like a good feel-good story that will get me all up in my emotions. So there's this one that I came across, and it, it, it caught me. It, got me. it got me real good. So check this out. There was this, there was this young lady. This is back in like the, the mid to late 70s. She got pregnant. She was 16 years old. No, at that time, she, she knew that she didn't have the resources to provide for her son. She knew she didn't have the resources. And so what she wanted to do is that she decided with her family that she was going to give that child up for adoption. That was a decision that she made very early in the process. So back in those days, you could like kind of like hide somebody away. They could have a baby, give it away for adoption, and come back. So she literally left town, had the baby, gave the baby up for adoption, came back in town, and no one even knew that she was pregnant. They must have just thought that she went to like an extended summer camp or something. Like she was just, she was just gone. So she comes back, and she goes on to live her life. Well, that, that small child, he went on to be adopted into a wonderful family. He was only six weeks old. Unfortunately for the family that he was adopted into, that, that couple, they didn't work out, so now he's only being raised by just the mother. When he's about third grade, his, his, his 
adopted mom begins to talk to him about the fact that he's adopted. She's like, hey, I want to let you know. And she walks him through the process and saying that I didn't give birth to you, but you are my son. I love you. And, and walks him through it. So as a third grader, he began to grab and understand just the, the love that his adopted mother had for him, but he really didn't feel like there was any significant void in his life. He felt very well provided for and very well protected. It was, it was really good. Well, he gets a little bit older, and now that he's old enough to start playing sports, he's recognizing that some of his friends have their fathers at the games, and, and there's no father to be found for him. He's, he's recognized, he begins to acknowledge that, man, there is something missing. I'm, I'm very well provided for. I'm very well taken care of. But there is, there is this little thing that's off in my life, but I'm not going to get consumed by it. He continues to go on, and as he gets a little bit older, he then begins to kind of attach himself to one of his coaches. His coach turns out to be just this incredible mentor who actually becomes like his father figure, tells him what college he needs to go to, literally helps coach him through college, even when he goes pro is there in his life. So this coach became like this staple father figure in his life. So he had kind of moved on and had a sense of peace with, okay, I've, I've resolved it, I've moved on, my life is fine, I'm about to get married myself. Well, he's at this point in his life where everything seemed to be going well. He had a, a great career at college, had a great career in, in the NFL, and now he's going back to coach, so things are going well, and now he's about to move his life forward, and he's about to get married. So there's this moment where he and his wife, they're meeting with the doctor, and the doctor has them filling out paperwork. And, and of course, with that paperwork, it becomes like, can you give us some family history? We want to know a little bit about your, your wife's background, a little bit about your background, so we can know what the baby may be at risk for, just so we can have some understanding. It was there that he began to realize that he didn't have the answers to those questions. It is there that he began to recognize this void that he had probably had ignored all this time, that he truly didn't know where he came from. He didn't know how he ended up where he was. And while he tried his best to ignore it, when he knew that he couldn't answer the simple questions about his health and about his family's background, it was something that paralyzed him. He literally felt like he couldn't move forward. It all came rushing in all at once. Where did I come from? Why, why, did my, why did my birth family, why did they give me up? He wasn't necessarily looking for closure, but he was looking for context. I think sometimes that's, that's a healthy way for us to process through it. I think there are moments in our lives that we have these, these roadblocks and these, these seasons where, man, like, I, I, I just want to have a bit, little bit of understanding, but we got to be careful that we're not trying to chase something that we'll never find. You'll never find closure, but you can get context. So he wanted to just get some context. Why, like, how did I end up here? So he began to, to search and ask questions. And thanks to modern technology and the marvels of Facebook, he was able to find his birth mother. So he, he, he reaches out to her and he says, like, hey, um, I got a question for you. You don't know me. But and he begins to ask her a question about, did you have a child back in 1974, whatever that year was? Um, and did you give him up for adoption at this particular agency and all this stuff? So she's like, yes. Yes, I did. He's like, I, I think I'm your son. So they end up talking on the phone. And when he talks on phone, this void that he had had all these years that he didn't know, it was being filled now with this woman that began to give him context and clarity and purpose and allowing him to know how he ended up where he was. And she was so relieved to realize that he has such a promising and blessed life. It's, it's, it's really interesting to think how there's these moments in our lives where we can have this, this void, but the moment that we can get some context, it can give us the peace to move forward, and it give him exactly what he needed to go forward. Because I think at the root of it all, all of us would probably love to have that question answered, why am I here? How, how did I end up here? Like, what are, the, what are the things that led up to the scenario that I'm finding myself facing right now? And when he looked at his life, it all began to come together where he understood how each moment led to the next, and he now had a sense of peace. 
See, when we think about it, I think that David is probably not that different from you and I and maybe even from this young man. He, he was raised in an environment where he was, he was an outsider. He was raised in an environment where he didn't fit in. And so I can imagine that there's moments in David's life where he wondered, how, how did I get here? How, why am I here? Why am I walking through this? Why am I ignored in my family? Why am, I, why am I on the bottom shelf? That may sound very, very familiar to some of us. And maybe in, we're in a season right now where we feel like we're on the bottom shelf. Where we feel like there's some areas of our lives that we, God, I don't understand why I had to go through that. I'm, I'm not sure why I'm on the outer courts in this area. I'm not sure why I'm struggling in this season. This is exactly the place that, that David finds himself in. What I think is so fascinating is that, but yet, while he was isolated, he was still chosen. That even while he was out in the fields, he was still chosen. That while he was being rejected, he was still chosen. That while he was being ignored by his family, he was being sought after by God. Let me, let me encourage somebody in here right now. Maybe you're in a season right now where you feel rejected. You feel dejected. You feel on the outer courts of anything that you feel that God would have for you. I want to let you know that God is still pursuing you, that God has love for you exactly where you are. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, I think there's some things that we can learn from it. I want to back up for a moment just, just to give us some context so we can understand fully the, the weightiness of what this text is leading us into. See, we have to understand that Saul was the first king. He was the very first king of, of Israel. See, God never intended for Israel to have a king. It was his heart's desire for him to serve as their king. So from the very beginning, from the time that they were led out of Exodus, God's desire is, I want to be their king. I want to be their leader. And here's what a king basically is. It's provision. It's protection. It's covering. It's blessing. Like that figure has a significant role in the lives of the people. But God wanted to be that for the Israelites. But what happened with the Israelites is they began to look at the fact that they didn't have a king. They began to look at this void that they believed that existed in their lives. And so they began to cry out to God, we want a king just like the other nations have kings. They began to compare themselves to other people. And that comparison caused them to reject the very blessing that God had for them, which was himself. We have to be careful about comparing ourselves. Because comparison, it can corrupt us being content. It can, it can remove our ability to be content and peace with where we are because no matter where we are, it's never good enough. So the Israelites said, we want a king. So for Samuel, who was the man, who was the prophet, who was now responsible for anointing the next king, he was dealing with a little bit of rejection because he was supposed to serve as God's ambassador. But now he's in this spot where he had to go and identify the next king. So scripture tells us that he, that he goes and he identifies, he goes and identifies Saul. Saul's going to be the next king. He has the stature of a king. The Bible talks about how tall he was, how good he looked, how good of a warrior he was. He had everything that a king should have. He had a king's swagger. He had the king's language. He had the king's dress code. Like, he definitely had everything that a king will certainly have. So the Bible says that the people selected Saul as their king. That's a really big distinction. The people selected Saul as their king. And let me tell you, Saul failed miserably. He looked like a king. He walked like a king. He talked like a king, but he didn't have the heart of a king because he didn't have a heart that pursued after God. So when God got tired of Saul, he's like, I'm moving on from him. It's time for me to go and find another person. So in 1 Samuel 13, we're introduced to the idea of David for the first time. I'm looking for somebody who has a heart after the things I have a heart for. I'm looking for somebody who cares about the things that I care for. I'm looking for somebody who, who, who's going to pursue the things that I'm pursuing. I'm looking for people that, that are going to pray the way that I want them to pray. In other words, I'm looking for people that have a heart that's pursuing me. 
I think that's a, I think that's a powerful thought, but it's something that we have to question ourselves with sometimes. Am I, am I pursuing the things that God pursues? Do I care about the things that God cares about? When I see people who are struggling and broken, do I respond the same way that Jesus did, or do I find a way to justify my lack of response? God will always choose people who have a heart for the things that he has a heart for. And so David is now this kid who's been selected. So now we have, we have poor Samuel. He was rejected from being their leader. The person that he selected was now rejected, and now the Bible says that he was grieving. He was all in his emotions because now he's dealing with the fact they didn't want me. The person I anointed first no longer worked out. So now he's in his feelings wondering, like, man, like, did I miss God? He really wanted to believe the best for Saul. And now we wind ourselves right into the beginning of our text because God says to him, how long are you going to cry about this? How long? Now, I don't know how long he's been crying. What I do know is that scripturally speaking, they say that 30 days is typically the appropriate amount of time that someone can grieve in a paralyzed state before, okay, it's time for you to move forward with your life. So I don't know how long he was grieving, but what I can tell you is 1 Samuel chapter 15 ends with Samuel grieving, and then 1 Samuel chapter 16 starts with him grieving. So he's probably been grieving a little bit longer than God had intended. So God steps all up in his grill and says, like, yo, man, how long are you going to cry about this? How, how long are we going to talk about this? How, how long are you going to continue to cry about the thing that I rejected? Let me, let me make it a little bit more plain. How long are you going to cry about that broken relationship? Come over here. How, how long do we have to continue to talk about that person that betrayed you? How long? Like, at what point can we begin to move forward? See, the quickest way to move forward is to stop looking backwards. And I'm, a, I'm afraid that many times in our lives that God wants to do a new thing in our life, but we keep discussing the old stuff. God is like, I want to I do a new thing. I want to move forward, but you keep paralyzing yourself in the pain, and it's clouding you of the bigger purpose. He says to him, man, it's time for you to get up. Like, we've talked about this long enough. We've prayed about this long enough. We, we've discussed this long enough. We, you've gone to counseling about this. We've done all this, man. Like, how long are you going to use that as an excuse that you're not moving forward? This is the challenge that some of us have to process through. Because I, I sense that some of us are paralyzed where we are, believing that we have to have all these things lined up. And I will say to you that God is telling you, you have everything you need to move forward. It is time for you to move forward. How long do we got to stay here? Eight people are happy about that. The rest of y'all will get it later on. Because watch this, watch this. What the scripture says is that God says, get up, take, take the horn and take the oil and go to the place I'm telling you to go. So as long as, watch this, as long as Samuel was in a posture of pain, he was not getting the perspective of his next step. But the moment that God told him to get up, that's when he got directions on where he needed to go. I think many of us are waiting for direction, but we're facing the wrong direction. God is saying, it's time for you to stand up, begin to fix your eyes on me, and then I will give you clarity on what your next steps are going to be. How long are you going to stay there? How long? So what Scripture tells us is that Samuel didn't have to go and get the oil. He didn't have to go and get the horn, which was used as the, the vessel to pour the oil on. He already had it on him, which means this, church, he already had everything that he needed in order to move forward in his life. He already had it with him. I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but some of us are thinking, I can move forward once I get these eight things in place. No. How long are you going to stay there? You got everything you need right now to move forward. You got Jesus. You got all that you need to move forward. How long are you going to stay there? So scripture tells us that, that he gets up and he's like, okay, fine. So he goes out into Bethlehem. Now he gets to Bethlehem. And so whenever a prophet showed up, 
in a town, like, it made people nervous because you never knew if God was coming there with judgment. Like, prophets had a lot of power, still do, but it, it was very powerful when a prophet would show up because you never knew the context of their arrival. So they're a little bit nervous, understandably. Like, okay, did you come here in peace, or is this God's judgment? He's like, no, man, we're about to have a party. We're about, we're about to get lit. Here's what I want y'all to do. Go home, take a shower, get cleaned up, and then meet me at the, at the, at the concert hall, man. We're going we, to turn up. So everybody goes back knowing that it's about to be a party tonight, that Samuel is in town. He brought a sacrifice. It's about to get lit in here. So everybody goes back to their respective spots. They take their shower. They put on the proper clothes, and they are ready to get it on. But then, but then Samuel does something different. He goes over to, to Jesse. He says, hey, man, like, um, everybody's getting ready, um, and, and we're going to all meet at this, at this banquet hall, man. It's going to be a, a great party. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to make sure that all your sons are there, man, because I feel like I'm called to anoint one of these guys. So make sure you guys are all there, man. Make sure you guys are all cleaned up, prepared, because it's going to be a powerful night. So Jesse and his sons get cleaned up. It even says that Samuel helps them to get cleaned up, and now, and now the party's about to jump off. So there's this moment. There's this moment where we're all in the banquet hall. The, the, the music is going good, man. We're all laid back. We're all chilling. But then there's this moment where amongst the entire community that that Samuel calls for Jesse and all of his sons to come onto the platform. All eyes are on them. And so what Scripture tells us is that he has the sons go by him one by one to to determine which one is going to be the next king. It's a powerful moment. Now, understand, no one really knew what was going on. They just knew that Samuel was in town, the party is turned, but now there's somebody who's about to get anointed. They don't know what's about to happen. Because what they did understand is that typically priests, prophets, and kings were the only ones who ever were anointed with oil. So their context could have been, well, man, maybe one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed as a, as a prophet. They didn't have the lineage of being a priest, so that was like really the only option because no one was thinking that there was a king among them. So there's this moment where even as Samuel is looking at the guys up and down, he comes across the oldest one. And of course, back in those days, the, the oldest was always the most prominent. They had the most value. They had the most significance. We see all throughout Scripture that the oldest was always the one who was always propelled to the top. So we see that this moment where Samuel looks at the oldest one, and he's like, man, surely this is the one. This is the guy. Man, look at, look at him. He looks like a king. Man, he has the height of a king. He has the jawline of a king. He has the vocabulary of a king. You could tell that he's in the gym. He has a six-pack of a king. Like, he, he, is definitely, he is definitely the one that God has chosen. His name is Eliab. The name Eliab literally means God. So as Samuel is looking at him, he's looking at someone who definitely has the hand of God on his life. And God, like, throws the whole thing for a loop when he says, I didn't select him. See, let me teach you a lesson, Samuel. You're looking at the outside, but I'm more concerned about the heart. It, it looks like me. It may talk like me. It may sound like me. It may pontificate like you think I would pontificate but I'm more so looking at the heart. Here's what it means. It's possible that there are moments in our lives that we are looking at things that look like God, that sound like God, that walk like God, that talk like God, but it ain't him. I'm going to come over here. There are relationships that look like God. They sound like God. They, They have the posture of God, but it ain't him. There are job opportunities that look like God. It sounds like God. The open door seems like it's something that God did but it ain't him. There are moments where we find ourselves being invited into rooms that God never asked us to go into. What about this idea that your gift may make room for you, but it doesn't mean that every room is meant for your gift? 
Sometimes, sometimes that invite is just an invite. Don't mean that God sent it. Sometimes that relationship is just a relationship. It doesn't mean that God sent it. It may look good on the surface, but it certainly may not be God. I've, I've learned a long time ago when I first started in ministry that I knew that God was calling me to preach. So I got to a point where I was being invited to preach in different locations. So the time had come where I began to look at my calendar and saw that I was scheduled to preach at just one spot, and so I go. But there's something that's a little bit off. See, typically, whenever, I, whenever I'm about to preach, no matter how many services, no matter how often I do it, there's this moment where I just kind of, I can't stay still. If anybody's ever seen me at the front row, I can't stay, I feel like a, a caged lion just waiting to get out. I feel like I'm about to fight the devil. So I can never stay still. Like, I'm always just, like, ready to go. Like, I'm just ready to go. I'm like, okay, like, just give me the mic. Just let me, let me share. I, I honestly feel like every time I get a chance to, to share the goodness of God's word that I'm, I'm taking ground from the enemy and I'm helping to advance the kingdom of God, like, it's something that I take serious. I'm not to the point where I'm, like, LeBron throwing a chalk in the air or anything like that, but if they had some chalk in the back, I would definitely do it. Like, so I'm, I typically get pretty fired up before I go. But there's, there's a moment where I'm at, this, I'm at this church, and I don't have none of that. My bounce didn't feel the same. My swagger didn't feel the same. I didn't feel like as confident. I didn't, my mind just wasn't as clear. So I was like, okay, let me go in the back and pray. Maybe they're just distracted. So I go in the back, and I pray. I'm like, God, like, just, just stir me up. Lord, you sent me here. He's like, no, I didn't. You just accepted the invite. You never asked me if I was sending you there. I'm like, but, Lord, I'm here now. <laughs> so... Can we get through this and talk about it later? <laughs> fortunately, fortunately, he did, but it was a, it was a valuable lesson. It, it reminds me as to why now when the children of Israel, every time before they went into battle, they would say, Lord, are you with us or are you not? Because if you're not, then we're not going to go. That means I had to consult God every single time before I share the word of God, and it changed my perspective on me looking at open doors. What if we began to do that in our lives instead of thinking that, hey, man, this is a great job opportunity, but what is required? If that job opportunity is going to remove you from being in fellowship with God's people, then maybe that's not God. It's the enemy trying to get you off of God's purpose. Maybe that relationship looks good, but if that relationship is taking you out of the house of God, then maybe that relationship is not something that God sends you because God will never send you anything that would, that, that would take away from the relationship that he has with you. We have to ask those questions sometimes, and it doesn't always feel good. So he had, this, he had these people. They had, the, they had the job description. They had the look of it, but they didn't have God's criteria. So as he's standing there and he's looking, he's like, okay, well, clearly, like, this is God, the next one has got to be the one. God's like, no. God didn't just say, I don't prefer that one. That's not the one that I want. God used very direct language. He said, I'm rejecting him. My grace is not on that decision. If you choose to anoint that, my favor is not there. I need you to hear what I'm saying. Those are not the ones. So after he goes through all seven of the sons there, you can understand that he's probably a little confused because he's thinking to himself, God, you sent me here. You, you sent me here to go and find amongst the sons of Jesse a person who is going to now take the throne. I have all the sons of Jesse. I've done what you've asked me to do, but I'm not getting the results that you told me I was going to get. Have you ever been at a place where you thought that you were being obedient to God, but you're not getting the results that you thought that God was going to provide? Have, have you ever been at a place where, Lord, like, I feel like you told me to do this, and now that I'm doing this, I'm not seeing anything that you told me that I was going to see? I'm standing in front of all of Jesse's boys, and none of them are the king, but you sent me here and told me that one of Jesse's boys are going to be the king. Maybe, maybe I misheard you. Maybe that was it. Maybe, maybe, I, didn't, maybe I didn't hear you. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe you didn't send me here at all. Or, or maybe it is one of them, 
and I misheard you, and I'm supposed to anoint the first one because that was my first choice anyway. You know, it's in those moments when, when we, we're not seeing the results, when we're not getting what we thought, that we can actually go back to ideas that God rejected but begin to find justification to do them anyway. No, but I, I, I know God sent me here. So, so Samuel, he was in a critical moment where he could either just stand where he was, he could move forward with his own ideas, or he could go back to the source. What he decided to do is that he looked at Jesse, and he said, man, is this all your sons? Jesse was like, man, it's funny you ask. Like, man, I, I got a younger son, David. Um, he's annoying. Like, he's so insignificant. We didn't even think to invite him to the party that the entire town is at. That's how little we value David. I want you to see how Samuel responded. Samuel said, go and get him. We will not sit down until he arrives. We, we're going to stand here until he gets here. We will not move. We will not sit down until he gets here. Now, I don't know how long the party's been going on. But what I could tell you is, like, preaching three services, by the third service, man, I'm tired of standing. So I can't imagine being at a spot where you just got to stand there waiting for someone else to show up. They were just standing there. So there's this critical moment where whoever was sent out to go and find David had to hurry up and get him to come in. Here's one thing that I want you guys to write down when it comes to recognizing the, the things that God wants to do. The first thing you got to do is respond. You got to respond to it. Because now David is now, he's out taking care of the sheep. He's minding, he's minding his business. And somebody runs up and says, David, man, you, you got to come with me. Nah, man, I got I to watch over these sheep. My dad is very, very... He's very funny about these sheep. He doesn't want me to leave this area at all. Like, I heard y'all partying. I heard all the, I heard everything. It sounded like it was a good party, but I wasn't invited. Man, I'm not, I'm not going. I'm going to stay right here. No, David, you don't understand. Like, they're all waiting for you. Who's, who's waiting for me? Samuel is waiting. Samuel's there? Yeah, Samuel's waiting for you, bro. Who, who else is waiting for me? Man, like the entire town of Bethlehem is standing and waiting for you. Man, like, who, who else, who else is waiting for me? Your family, your family is waiting for you to take your rightful place. We, we are all standing here waiting for you. That meant this, that until David took his rightful place, everybody was waiting for him. We're waiting. I wonder if there's times in our lives if we really have ever thought that maybe there's people in our community that's waiting for us to accept the calling that God has put on our lives. Your family's waiting for you. God's been calling you when he's been telling you that there's a calling and a purpose on your life, and they're waiting for you to accept that calling, and we're waiting for you, and we can't move forward until you do. Church, we're waiting for you. We need you in this community, and maybe there's some among us that God has given an incredible gift to teach and to gather people, and maybe you could be a major conduit in helping us to advance the kingdom of God in the context of groups, but we can't move forward until you respond to the call. We're waiting for you. There's, there's some among us that have an incredible ability to pray and intercede for other people. As we see from our prayer and praise moments, there are people that need your prayers. They need the power of the faith that you have. And we cannot move forward as a church until you step into your calling. We're waiting for you. We're waiting for you to take the resources that God has blessed you with. And maybe your contribution could be the very thing that allows us to move forward as a church. Church, we're waiting for you. What are the things that God has been telling you that you're called to do, but you have not responded to just yet? I want you to know that we're waiting for you. We're waiting. And you know what that waiting process looks like? It's a bunch of people standing in places where they should be experiencing rest. Watch this. We're standing and we can't take a, bre a breath until you step into your role. We're standing we can't move forward until you step into your role. So you will truly take ground when you take your place. And God is telling you that there's some things that he's called you to do. 
teams that he's invited you to be a part of, husbands that need to step up and begin to lead their homes. All these things are all in front of us, but we can't move forward until you step into the place that God has called you to do. Respond to the calling, church. David had this responsibility to respond because until he responded, everyone was still waiting. So now there's this moment where David finally responds and he, and he comes into the room. Here's the second thing I want us to write down. I want us to receive. Because here's the thing. David walks into a room and everybody is waiting for him. Everybody's standing up. They're looking at David. His brothers are lined up right there. Samuel's standing there with the oil. He has no clue of what's going on. All he knows is that he's now entered into a room that he was not initially invited into. And to make matters worse, he is, he is woefully underdressed. Everybody else, they went out and got dressed up. They got ready for this banquet. David comes in smelling like sheep. He didn't get a chance to go take a shower first. He didn't get a chance to clean himself up yet. He had to come right in smelling like sweat and smelling like sheep. Have you, have you ever been into an environment where you just felt like you were woefully underdressed? Like you walked in, you're like, man, like I, I definitely don't fit in right now. I remember being invited to go and speak at this church one time, and I said, hey, man, like, so what's the dress code? Like, what do you guys, like, what's the event? What's the dress code? He said, oh, man, you'll be fine. Dress like you typically do on a Sunday. Apparently, this guy has never been to Celebration Church. I'm sitting up here with a jacket on and got paint stripes on it. Like, you don't know what you may get at the Celebration. So I go into this environment, and everybody looks like they're going to prom. They're dressed up. It's like a banquet thing, and I'm like the guest speaker coming in with, like, holes in my jeans. My shoes were dope, though. You know that. Um, all, all that's... That, that was, that was light up. But I'm, I'm there, and I'm, I felt so uncomfortable. I felt like I didn't fit in. I, I wasn't dressed like everybody was dressed. Do you know how uncomfortable it is to walk in an environment and feel like you don't fit in? It can make you want to leave that environment altogether. Imagine David walking into a room where everyone has been consecrated. They're cleaned up, and he walks into the room smelling like work, smelling like he's been out in the field, and everybody's been waiting for me. But somehow the Bible says that he is the one that God has chosen. That everybody else got dressed up, but it didn't mean that they were next up. Y'all know I used to rap, right? <laughs> Just because you're flawed doesn't mean you're not called. Mm, I'll give you bars all day. Watch. He walks into this room where everybody had got dressed up, but he comes in smelling like sheep. And God said, he's the one. Is it possible that God is drawn to the aroma of your servanthood? that your servant heart could be the very thing that could be a catalyst to get you to where God's calling you to go. So he, he, had, to, he had to stay there and allow the, the prophet of God to come over and anoint him. Imagine how uncomfortable it could feel. Imagine how, how off-putting it could be that you don't even smell good. I don't feel comfortable. That's like coming out here in gym clothes. Like, I don't feel like I should be here, but nonetheless, you're telling me that I am the chosen vessel that you're going to use to radically change the entire world? It doesn't make much sense. And sometimes some things that God will call us into, they won't make sense. Some seasons that God will call us into and it doesn't make sense. But my encouragement for you is receive it. Receive the anointing that God has for you. You are anointed to be exactly where you are because you're there. God will never have you in a place that you could not sustain. His grace is there with you. Just receive it. Receive what God has for you because promotion comes from above. So the Bible tells us that, that David gets anointed. The party goes on. And, and here's, my, here's my third and final thought. Then he went right back out into the field. He had to return. Think about this for a moment. David goes into this party. He gets anointed. Everybody is like all like excited, but he doesn't understand what's going on. So if it's me, if I could be honest with you, 
after the whole party's over, I'm going to go and walk up next to Samuel and be like, man, like, yo, this was, this was really, this was a vibe, man. This was a vibe. This was, this was dope. Hey, man, um, so what was that all about? What, what are we doing? Like, what, what's this? I thought only prophets, priests, and kings were anointed. Bro, I don't fit that job description. I'm not qualified for, for any of that. So what, what's, what's really all this about? Sam was like, hey, listen, don't tell nobody. But, bro, you're going to be the next king. I'm like, word? <laughs> king of what? Yo, you're going to be the king of Israel. Son, are you for real? Yo, you are going to be the king, but don't put it on the streets yet, man. We got to get some things worked out. Okay, I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But what I heard you say is that I'm going to be king, right? So, um, so when do I start? When do I get the keys to the palace is what I want to know. When, when do I get all the wealth? When do I get everything that is supposed to happen when you become king? I want to know when is it going to happen. Do you know that David was anointed to be king, but it took him 15 years before he actually began to walk in it? It takes a great deal of humility to be anointed as the next great thing, but to go right back to the place that you came from. It takes a great deal of humility to know that I have ideas that could make our company go so much further, but I got to continue to work for a boss who doesn't know what they're doing. It takes a great deal of humility to know that God is stirring you to do some incredible things, and it's not my time yet, so I got to acknowledge that I'm called, but be patient where I am. See, don't allow the calling on your life outpace the place that God has called you in this season of your life. We can sometimes feel like I've outgrown it. I got to get away from it because I heard a word from God. But maybe God is saying, I need you now to take that word right back to that place where you can continue to work on your skills. Because what scripture tells us is that after David was anointed, he goes right back out into the field as a shepherd. Wrestling with this idea that one day I'm going to become king, but right now I got to be faithful with these sheep. The scripture tells us that the spirit of God rushed upon him from that moment forward. So what many scholars believe, they believe is that at that moment, while David was taking care of his sheep, he began to write the book of Psalms. They believe that at that moment, that while David was taking care of the sheep and he had those down moments, that he began to really work on his skills with a slingshot. You may never know the things that God will develop in you in those quiet seasons to prepare you for the seasons that you're stepping into. God may have you exactly where you need to be, but you got to go back. David was a shepherd boy, but he was anointed. David was just watching over the sheep, but he was anointed. He was just writing those songs, but they were anointed. He was just in a place that seemed like it was obscure, but he was anointed. Can I tell you, church, you were anointed to be exactly where you are. But keep it in a posture of humility because you'll be amazed at what God can do with it. David goes right back to where he is, anointed, but he's still a shepherd. You know, as I close, I want to I share this thought with you. Because I can't move on from the gentleman that I was talking to you about earlier. The gentleman who was, who was seeking, for his, seeking for his biological mother. See, the, the other half of that story is that now that he had a portion of that story resolving in his, in his heart, man, I know, where my, I know who my mother is. I know the context around why she gave me up for adoption. It's all beginning to come together. But then he asked that, that one question, who's my dad? And, and where is he? Was he okay with you giving me up for adoption? She unfolds the rest of the story. It's like, hey, your dad actually doesn't even know that I was pregnant. I was young. I moved away, had you, gave you up for adoption, moved back into the town. Then your dad actually went away to college, and I've really never seen him again. 
He's like, okay, great. Like, I would love to see if I can connect with him. I don't want to disrupt anybody's life, but I just want him to know that he has a son. Can you, can you tell me his name? She said, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you his name. And she told him the name. He stood there stunned. He got really flushed. He, he dropped the phone. His legs got weak. Palms sweaty. Mom's sweaty. Okay, never mind. Some of y'all caught some of y'all catch it. Eight mile, anybody? Lose yourself in a mile? Okay. Anyway, so there's this moment. There's this moment where he, he, he he's literally is like, legs are getting wobbly. He can't believe what she said to him. So she's like, oh, are, are you okay? He's like, could you say that name again? She tells him the name. It turns out that his father was the coach that had been his father figure the entire time, and neither one of them knew. Let me say it a different way. All those moments in his life that he thought that his dad wasn't there, turns out that his father was there the entire time. His father was there with him when he was trying to figure out where to go to school. His father was there with him when he was trying to figure out whether or not he should marry this woman. His father was there with him when he was sharing the news about him potentially going into the NFL. His father was there with him the entire time, and neither one of them even knew about it. You know what I believe? I believe that there's some among us that when we look at our lives right now, we could say, God, I, where are you? God, where are you in this season of life that I'm walking through right now? God, I'm going through some hard times, and where are you? I've been through some hard times. God, where are you? I've dealt with rejection. God, where were you? I've dealt with some struggle. God, where are you? I've dealt with betrayal. God, where were you? God, I've been left. Where were you? You can find those moments in your lives where you feel like God wasn't there. And you may feel like you're at the bottom, but I want to let you know that God was always there because you are here. Because you would not be here if God wasn't first there. So every season that you've ever gone through, your father was there the entire time. God was with you when you were going through the divorce. He was with you when you were going through bankruptcy and your finances were in order. God was there. He was with you when you got the cancer diagnosis and didn't know if you would ever get healed. God was there. He was with you when you had to deal with the loss of that loved one. God was there comforting you. He was there with you every step that you took. You know that your reason that you know that God was there because you survived it. And God does not allow anyone to survive that he does not have a purpose for. You are here and you are here because God was there. Every step that you took, it's because God was there. And because God was there, you are here. You are anointed where you are. You are blessed where you are. You are favored where you are. Because God is with you every step of the way. In the name of Jesus, God, we thank you that you are with us. You're with us in the storm. You're with us when it's sunny. You're with us through it all. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up worship to you. Church, let's all worship together one more time. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Orlando or to get in touch with us, please visit celebrationorlando.org.